We are all in the business of life. And in the business of life, we're all going to find, you know, stumbling blocks and things like that. And we're going to make mistakes and we are going to screw up. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Steven. And I'm excited about today's episode one because today's guest, Maria and I, were just talking about how if there's something going on where calendars aren't syncing, but if if things, it was like yesterday, my kids got diagnosed with strep throat. So it was a terrible set of circumstances. It affects their stomach more than it does actually their throat. And that led to a very eventful day here at Knucklehead headquarters. So Anyway, Maria, I appreciate you being being patient. And how are you today? Maria Brito is today's guest. So it's nice to chat with you. Hi, Steven. I'm so happy to be here with you. It's frigid in New York City and it'll be oh for many months, my. but it's okay. You know, um, we learn to live with four seasons that are extremely separated from each other and yeah. uh but it yeah. is one of those you know really first days of like, like biting real like cold. biting 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 cold like it doesn't matter how many biting. layers you have on it just hits you right in the right in the bones it's okay it's okay let's not talk about the weather because we don't want to bore the audience let's not bore <laughs> yeah, the right audience about, who right might be that. enjoying fun things and fun yeah, weather and fair. like warm things so to all of you Congratulations for being in warm places. Well, I appreciate you uh, you leading with that. So let's jump right into it. So Knucklehead Podcast is is a podcast where we've essentially we've been able to communicate in a fun way, uh, looking back on, at screw ups and mistakes that we've made over the course of our career, and not just me as the host, but guests. Guests have come on and they've shared they've shared opportunities where maybe stereotypes around athletes or MMA fighters or military folks, maybe there's a misperception out there. And so their knucklehead story was actually making that stereotype come true <laughs> when in fact they didn't even mean it to be that way or, or maybe sending an email to an HR director uh, exactly how you felt about the way that she was acting and end up being letting go from, from an organization or uh, there's a, there's a myriad of different examples of what would contribute to somebody's story to being a, yeah. a, a knucklehead or a screw up or a mistake that would severely set somebody back over the course of their career. And so that's, what's awesome about success. And that's, what's awesome about business is communicating to people that those setbacks sometimes are actually just forks in the road to give you an opportunity to overcome them. So, yeah. Maria, I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, and I know our audience would love to hear, what knucklehead story have you had to deal with uh, in the past? I love this intro because, as you know, my book, um, How Creativity Rules the World, which I hope all of you guys get, has a whole chapter on failure. And I wrote that because there is no creativity without failure. And I think that that's very important to highlight no matter what you do, whether you are an artist, an accountant, an entrepreneur, a VC investor, a, a creative person somewhere trying to get your things out in the world, a freelancer, there's no creativity without failure. So I opened my company 13 years ago and I'm based in New York City. And what I do basically is I build art collections for people 
But I'm also a writer, a curator, uh, an educator. I teach, I consult. And the topic that consumes me really is creativity because I think it's the foundation of everything. So I come from, I'm an outsider. I, I used to be an attorney and I hated it with all my guts. And it was me selling out on my dreams because I wanted to have the career path that my parents thought it was a good thing for me. So can I, when can I, opened, I stop you right there yes, for a second? Can, can yes, I stop you right there? Stop okay. Me. All right. So I, I have to ask that because some of our listeners are going to, they're going to connect with what you're talking about just from being an attorney. And when you, when you qualify that statement by saying that you were selling out on your dream, was your dream to, to please your parents? Is that why you followed it up by talking about your parents? Well, then? I sold out on my dreams because I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to be a performer and my parents were n- not having that. So I, I sold out on my dreams and I followed the path that they thought it was going to be the best for me, which was to have a dependable career. I mean, it could have been being yeah. a doctor or an engineer or going for an MBA or whatever, but I went to law school because I can't stand numbers. So that's the thing. And uh, any, anyway, so when I opened my company, the art advisory that I was uh, mentioning yeah. is a very fun and very interesting job. People, if you have never heard about it, it's a really fun thing to do because I spend my days with artists and galleries and buying works for my clients. And it's super interesting and super cool. So one of the unspoken rules of this business is that you cannot buy something from a gallery and try to profit from it the next week or the next month at auction, ah. right? Trying to flip it, right? That flipping thing yeah. is an unspoken rule of behavior that, I mean, you know, it's ethics and, and, and honestly, nobody should really do that. And even without being an unspoken rule, it's bad for the artists, it's bad for the galleries because it inflates prices and things like that. So I was very fresh in my, it was, it was a very brand new company. I I had just quit my career as an attorney. I had all this excitement about starting something new. It was a huge risk in my life. I had no clients, nothing. Is that what drew you to art? What drew me to art is that I grew up in this family who, although they did not believe in me being an artist, they were very adamant about this idea of being cultured and being rich in the things that I had to learn from as a hobby, right? So then galleries, museums, theaters, film, that was all part of my upbringing. Hmm, And um, so that's what drew me to art. It was this idea of like me being in a space with very creative people and fun people and doing things that actually meant something to me. So, you know, building something from scratch is really hard as most people know. And especially again, coming from the, you know, a complete outsider. So I got this um, referral of a client from a friend who actually meant really well and said, you know, I'm going to introduce you to this client. And uh, he is an art collector from Brazil and he's super committed and he has a great art collection. And I'm sure you guys can work something out together. So I met the guy and I thought the guy was okay. I thought he was legit, especially coming from a referral from somebody. 
And, you know, he said, I really would like for you to find this artist for me because I'm, I'm obsessed with the artist and I really, I know it's hard to find because that's, that's the part of the job is trying to find things where a lot of people are competing for the same asset. Sure. So I said, oh, sure, of course, I'm going to get it for you. And again, like I was so enthusiastic and so naive about so many things. People actually will bring attention to me because I was a rookie. So I go to the gallery and I said, I have this client who is looking to buy this piece of art from this artist and we know it's really hard but you know I'm I'm so enthusiastic about him and he's so serious and he has such a massive collection and meanwhile right I hadn't really done my due diligence because I was so excited about the prospects of this new client long story short we get him the artwork and you know he gets he pays me a nice commission the thing goes to him and whatever about I would say two or three months after that I go, I had actually gotten a new client too. And I was with this other new client at an art fair. And I see that the woman that I had bought the painting from looked at me not nice. And I was approaching her and her face was not looking good. I uh -huh. was very happy to see her, but sure. her face was not happy to see me. So I say, hello, how are you? It's so nice to see you. What a beautiful booth you put together and this and that. And she's like, your client bought the painting at auction two months after you guys bought it. I can't believe after all the things I told you and I cannot believe that you did this to me and you actually said so many nice things about this guy and look what happened. And you were with your new client? Yes. I wanted to both cry and disappear at the same at time. At the same time. Yeah, yeah. How long ago was this, Maria? It was 12 years ago. I mean, like, oh, I, it was like, as I'm telling you, it was at the very, very beginning of my business. Yeah. So I looked at the woman and said, I'm so sorry. I just don't know anything about this. And I'm going to look into this. And I, you know, appreciate you telling me, I just don't know anything about this. Right. Because what I was going to like, there was nothing else I could do at this point. And I was not going to be reactive. I was with, uh, you know, my other client there. I mean, this whole thing sounded so bad, honestly, Yep. to be in front of a client and, and uh, you know, an art dealer. somebody else dressing you down. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I, you know, I was super mortified. I left. I've got to stop you now. I've got to stop you because yeah. there's, there's two lessons that are, that I'm already writing down as a result of this, that I'm, I'm fascinated to hear what you did as a result of it. But let's rewind the clock back just a little bit. Whenever you were excited to meet this new individual who wanted this piece of art, help the, the audience understand, how did you vet? Did you have somebody like communicating with you on your behalf, like walking you through the process? Did you, did you, or did you, I mean, or a hundred percent of what you're doing is just your own new, new experiences. So you didn't really have anybody helping you mentor you through the process. Well, yeah, it's, it's two questions. I had nobody, nobody was mentored me, okay. but I had bought art myself. So I knew the process or, or I thought I knew, right. I mean, sure. um, yeah. and the second thing is, as I'm telling you, since this was a referral, uh -huh. you usually tend to believe that referrals come without this kind of wild cards or things that, you know, are going to happen because yeah. a lot businesses in services, the way I am, especially high end services, usually are word of mouth and referrals. So I was so grateful that 
I was adding a new client to a young business that was brand new and that this person, this man was giving me, he was giving me his trust, right? So I felt so good about that. He paid so fast. Everything was so smooth and easy, right? But what I didn't know is that he was a trickster. And it turns out that when I started, since I didn't do a due diligence, when I started investigating about him, he had done the same thing to many people. And so literally this guy got high on like selling things. I mean, buying them and selling them for a profit, even if the profit was like 5,000 bucks. I mean, like literally. So I, I was like, no, you know, I, I sent him an email and I said, look, this really is ridiculous. And what you did to me is going to hurt me for the rest of my life with this particular dealer. Whereas what you have is 5,000 bucks more in your bank account and you are, this is the behavior of a crook. Seriously. I was so mad, you know, because I could never fix the relationship with that dealer again. And, and listen, years went by. I am very respected in my industry. Everybody knows me in, in the art world and they know what I do and they know that I'm serious. But you know what? This was a mistake that it cost me that relationship and it was a rookie mistake, but also it was my negligence on not doing due diligence on my client, right? Because I was the excitement of having a new client actually put a big glare around this whole thing instead of me trying to find out, yeah, who this guy was. So that was one of the things that that's, I put that in the book. I wrote about that episode in the book because what that taught me is, first of all, I have to do a due diligence, you okay. know? Yep. Second, I have to trust my intuition and kind of like develop. And I, you know, I do trust my intuition 100%. But at the same, at what, what happened that time is that my intuition spoke to me, but I was so excited about getting a new client and making something, some money out of this guy and perhaps kind of like nurturing the relationship. I just didn't know what I was getting into that I didn't listen to my intuition that was you know, telling me, watch out. Uh, did your training as an attorney at all? Uh, did your spidey, like I've heard it said before, your spidey senses start to go off. You use the word intuition. Did your training as an attorney kind of clue you in that potentially, you know, you cut some corners on the first one that led to a much larger lesson that you could apply going forward? Or was there anything connected to your practicing law that contributed to this to this happening, do you think? Well, I mean, I think definitely being an attorney, you are always very cautious and you're always taking the due diligence process very seriously. But again, I dismissed all this red flags because I was hoping that someone who came from someone I dearly liked and, and appreciated and someone who was really close to me sure. wasn't going to screw me over. Right? You know what I mean? And sure. I actually made I, I made the point to this person, say, look, you can't sell this thing at auction because it's going to hurt me. I actually made a disclaimer and I thought that was enough, right? But shame on me because if I had made a couple of phone calls and called all the people, I would have already known why this guy needed me to get him the artwork is because he already had a bad reputation. And that was back then a time where 
the owners' names didn't have to be disclosed. That changed completely. Mm. Now, now the owners' names, the person who's buying, has to pay directly to the galleries. Has to bring, you know, a, like it has to be um, more a real person. Yeah. It's more, yeah, it's, it's a lot more transparency. But back then, not um, so much. You know, here's the deal. I what I learned with that is that nobody has really done similar things to me because not only I'm doing the diligence, but also I'm trusting if I have a feeling. And look, sometimes, you know, we're not infallible as humans, right? And so I think that it's also important when people say those things that sound woo-woo, like, oh, forgive yourself and this and that. It's like important, right? I mean, we are all in the business of life, really. And in the business of life, we're all going to find you know, stumbling blocks and things like that. And we're going to make mistakes and we are going to screw up. And, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. as well long said. as this does, doesn't become the rule, but the exception, you know, yeah. we just want to make sure that we are not screwing up so much all the time. And I, I'm sure, you know, people can relate. Wisdom comes from learning from other people's mistakes is what I've heard it said a long time ago, but the pain of experiencing your own, is worth its weight in gold too. I've, I've heard it. I've heard it said both ways. And so you can, you can learn from other folks as much as possible, but it sounds as if even just some of what your experiences are, were getting into. So there's, there's a bunch of lessons in terms of vetting new clients for a business owner, uh, being able to take, you know, past experiences and applying it to a new venture. But I love how you qualified the statement. I wanted to dig in a little bit more here. How many times over the course of your 12, 13 year career now in this industry has something similar happened where, your intuition went off and, and you pressed and you changed some of your process to, to fix it going forward. You know, again, like I think, for example, um, you know, it's like you, you have to really listen to your intuition because um, it's always right. What is wrong is our interpretation. So we humans tend to have a lot of like uh, filters and processes by which we analyze the signals of the outside world and we decide how to interpret those signals and what kind of value we want to assign to them, right? And so I think it's important that we don't rush things and we don't make rushed decisions, but usually intuition speaks to you in a way that it could be subtle. It could be like feeling like, you know, a brick has just fallen on top of your head, but it's never wrong. It really never is. It's, mm. it's what we want to interpret it. And, and sometimes we want to believe something that's not true. So this type of thing hasn't happened to me again. I did, I was once, let me tell you this, I was once, um, I was part of a deal with a friend of mine in Europe and he was very insistent on, and this was during the pandemic, so it wasn't that long ago. Well, we are still the pandemic, but anyway, uh, I have this uh, French friend and he reached out to me and said, I have a client who's really looking for this specific, and he sent me a list of artworks and, or, and artists. And uh, could you source something and we do this deal together? I mean, it's fun because it's like buyer and seller, right? I mean, artworks sometimes are more expensive than a house, right? So... I said, okay, let me help you out. And I found what he was looking for. And when he connected me to the the person who was buying, who was also in Europe, I had a feeling when I got that WhatsApp uh, message that the guy was not right. But this time around, it was a different situation because we were not getting the artwork directly from a gallery. 
which is called primary market. It was a secondary market, which is on resale. And mm-hmm. when you buy things on resale, you can do with them whatever you want. You can put them auction. You can do this. You can do that. So I told my French friend, we're both going to make money out of this and we're both making a commission. But I'm telling you, your client is not right. No, what are you talking about? I've sold in millions of things and this and that. And he's totally fine. I said, Mm-mm, this guy is not right. Guess what? Two months after the painting was at auction. Oh, wow. But yeah, it, I mean, it. It, it, it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt my reputation. Oh. We made the money. But my friend really got very mad. Not at me, at the other guy. Sure. Uh, and cut him off and whatever. Isn't it funny how that works? I just think, so based off of what I'm hearing you say, there's so many uh, industries that exist that you're not familiar with that you hear s- almost identical stories in things that, you know, I've, I've never bought and sold art. Oh, that's not true. My, uh, I did buy, uh, some of my, my kids, I have my kids drawings right over here and he's taking them door to door. Good, good on him. He's taking them door to door and actually sold them to people before. So yeah, I, I have a little bit of experience in art. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the I'm right entrepreneur. <laughs> have, you know, awesome. teach them young. That's teach right. Them young. That's exactly um, right. Well, you know, Maria, it doesn't matter the industry. It doesn't matter the industry. Lesson stays the same. Lesson stays yeah. the same. So when it comes to when it comes to uh, you know those of you those of you who are listening to Knucklehead Podcast, not not a whole lot of folks that we've received feedback from are there on the East Coast or even play in the in that particular space in the arts. Help help people understand a little bit about how you navigate. You know, folks in different geographies or have you ever come up with a time where, you know, there was somebody who was just getting into the industry who you had to talk with, who, you know, you had to educate them maybe a little bit on on customs and tradition, so to speak, in your in your industry. And it was kind of a painful process for them to have to go through. I think that, you know, first and foremost, I just try to educate the clients first so that. Uh, you know, so they get the primer from me from the get go and they understand what is unwanted behavior and what is unethical behavior. Because at the end of the day, these are not things that are legal. You, If you buy a house and you want to sell it tomorrow, you know, that's all up to you. But art is treated differently. And again, there is this whole kind of relationship that is involves humans and artists and egos and, and this and that. And markets can get really insanely crazy. And when the artist is too young, it can hurt their career. So I try to educate my clients from the get-go. I have clients who have been collecting for a long time. I have clients who are just brand new in the business. So I try to, and, and it's not painful because I think that once it's very important to have the rules of the game clear because otherwise it just it's not a proper game right you don't play right if people do not have information and i don't like when there is asymmetry that's a problem always right like if you have information and and you don't share it properly with your clients or associates or people then you know that creates problems so it's very important from the get-go to be clear on that and uh, i think um you know, like in any other industry, you just want to make sure that you explain to people what to expect and how to behave and how to, you know, uh, play the Is rules. It? And again, you know, like it's it play the game, play the rule, play by the rules and be a valuable part of the ecosystem. Right. Is that why you wrote the book then you wanted to have kind of a playbook, so to speak, for folks to be able to follow or talk to no, people a little this, bit about how you is, came up with no, creativity rules the world. For everybody. This is okay. a book for everybody. And here's okay. why I wrote this book. 
And it goes back to my story. When I was a child, I was an incredibly creative person and a teenager too. And I was devoted to art making, singing, performing. And I know that a lot of people will relate to this because when we are young, we do things that fill our spirit without us taking into consideration rules and regulations and, uh, you know, conventions of society and this and that. So this book is a book about how to come up with the best ideas for your business, no matter what you do. And why is it called How Creativity Rules the World? Because without creativity, we have nothing. And and what is that? We live in an era where we need to differentiate ourselves if we want to stand out, if we want to sell our products. If you work in a business, in a company, corporate America, medium-sized company, you need to stand out with your ideas if you want to survive and thrive. We We live right now in the era of the great resignation. People are fleeing jobs because they want to do their own things. And that is important because the business of America is business. And we should really know this. This is what we do best in this country. We are Mm -hmm. people who create things. But for a long time, we didn't create things. And we handed all our power to tech companies and to social media companies. And they, for some reason, monopolized the idea of innovation and creativity while Well, these are actually concepts that are completely misunderstood. What is creativity? Is your unique and special ability to come up with ideas of value that are original, obviously, and that are relevant for today. And why are people not more creative? Because when you read studies, for example, by uh, IBM did a study of 1,500 CEOs across every industry that they serve. And the number one trait they are looking when they hire people is creativity. Hmm. Adobe is very, very invested. Adobe Corporation is very invested in creativity too. And when they surveyed people in the United States, Germany, and Japan, and they said, are you creative? Are you living? Are you potential? Most of them said no. And then you have LinkedIn ran an entire scanning of every message on the network. It's, I think, 660 million professionals are part of LinkedIn. And the number one trait also they are looking for, but they can't find is people who are creative. So this This intrigued me tremendously, especially coming from the background of being an attorney and transitioning into something completely different. And as I have been observing for 13 years, the most creative minds in the world are these artists, but I've also have the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs, billionaires, philanthropists, Oscar-winning actors who have been my clients, hip-hop moguls who have been my clients. I have observed what are the traits that people cultivate. And this is not something that, oh my God, people were born with a given talent and that's why they are so creative. That is a lie. That is a lie. We should never confuse artistic talent with creativity. 
But all the, the the reason why I wrote this book is to bring to people a playbook, a manual, a blueprint, or whatever you want on how to develop their ideas and how to come up with the best possible ideas for whatever they do. And not only that, I also root them in history so that I want to make sure that when people get their hands around this book, they understand that if this worked 600 years ago, and it worked 300 years ago, it's going to work today, and Maria. it's going to work in 10 years. Yep. Maria, I appreciate you, uh, your candor in terms of uh, imploring with people to do several things. One in particular, though, is to go back to the foundation of what created, in my opinion, the, the, the most successful experiment in the history uh, of the planet, and that is America. And the foundation and the business behind America's success is is business and creativity and being able to innovate, and iterate uh, and create net new uh, opportunities, whether whether you're in a supply chain, where you are, where you fit in the supply chain, there's still opportunities, irregardless of what industry you're in. So I I appreciate that. But one thing that stood out to me that I had to ask you about, and, and I hope you wrote about it in your book. And if I need to f- read your book in order to find this answer, tell me that. I um, hope you will read it, but I uh, am going to answer. <laughs> artistic talent does not need to be confused with creativity. Yet, most of the time, people f- believe that artists and, you know, I, I just read recently that I can't remember if it was the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, but they put tight parameters in terms of how they would come together to create new albums. And the reason for that creation was the tight parameters. Where in most cases think most people think that the parameters or the left and what we call kind of the left and right lateral limits are limitations, not the tight parameters that actually lead to the breakthroughs or the creativity uh, breakthroughs that most people ask. But my, my question is, is it the artistic talent or the creativity or is there a process between the two? And why can't you confuse those two things? Look, uh, the, it was the Beatles, by the way. I read that article too. Um, it was, and okay, cool. The, yes, it was the Beatles and they had the parameters. Um, and, you know, what, that is actually also written in my book and it's about discipline and structure and so several things here artistic talent right is most of the time you're born with it but you can develop it for example an actor or a painter uh, or a sing I, i think singers mostly are born with it and they just hone it and develop it but certain people may not have the greatest talent as a singer but they are just the package, like performers. And I'm going to just say Madonna, for example, who's not the greatest singer, but she's the greatest performer and the most daring person you could have ever imagined. And she would never give up, you know, and they'll be 80 years old and still trying to cause controversy, right? So it's about how you utilize those things. So artistic talent is something that most of the time, really, you have it, right? And but it's also how you nurture it. I I see my kids. Right. And I one of them is excellent in music. And I put him in piano classes since he was five because I thought it was excellent. And so I didn't want to let that just perish. Right. I mean, I tried to really push him and he appreciates the push, even though he would rather play be playing Fortnite than going to the piano thing. Right. And 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 in creativity, if you are, let's say, for example, Thomas Alva Edison, one of the most creative minds in history. Was he an artist? No, this man was an inventor who actually failed a million times until he was able to come up 
with the light bulb and the phonographer and, you know, precursors, precursors of the, you know, camera, things like that. So yeah. uh, it, it's very important, again, to reiterate that creativity is the ability to come up with ideas of value that are relevant. And that is for any business product, service, upgrades or your survival and your company as an employee, let's say that, right? And yep. to the parameters that you say, it's actually super important that people put parameters and structures around what they do every day because when you want to be creative, it, there the, the process is not that you just like be. Let me just be and wait if like a, an idea hits me. That is sometimes happens, sure, but you have to be working all the time and then take breaks and periods of time for the incubation effect to bring the idea, right? And so... Sure. You know, in my book, I wrote the example of one of the most genius artists in history is Pablo Picasso. And like he had a very definitive routine, like he would paint 12 hours a day. He would have nobody bother him at a certain time. You know, he would never stop doing things like it's not that he was sitting in like a cafe. I mean, he was, but it's not that he was all day long in a cafe outside in Paris, just waiting, you know, for his coffee with his cigarette and whatever for the inspiration to come. Right. He was actually doing. Can they still do that in Europe? I don't think COVID COVID really (laughs) shut things. I'm just messing around. Okay, I I think they just can be. They can, yeah. they can be outdoors. I, mm. I think that it's like the there are studies that also shown, for example, how deadlines work for creativity, but not artificial deadlines like come up with something tomorrow. No, but like a proper deadline. Right. If you have a big project, then you probably have a little bit more time. And when you have a, you know, less important project you know, project, then you put a deadline for your own self because you have to have certain parameters and certain structures that help that creativity flourish. Otherwise, you, I mean, most humans really need certain structures. Even if, if your days are, you know, your days are different. You meet different people all the time. You talk to different people all the time. You don't know what you're facing sometimes, right? But at the same time, you do wake up at a certain time. If you work out, which I'm sure you do, you go. And so all those routines, although to the layman may sound like my life is so boring because it's full of routines. They are actually necessary. And it's a very good example of what you said of the Beatles because all their songs lasted no more than two or three minutes, right? There was a very specific arrangement. They were mostly about love. There is never cursing because that needed, it never existed back then, right? Like, I mean, they were not trying to be hip hop because it yeah. did not exist, yeah. right? No, not so, so, um, Putting yourself under constraints is very conducive of creativity. And the same thing with money. When you don't have that much, you Mm. become very creative and resourceful. If you have a trust fund that gives you carte blanche to like, then I'm pretty sure it's not going to be as interesting, whatever you're trying to make. That's why, you know, when you're raising capital, investors give you this much. And, you know, it's not like if even if they believe that you're going to be Google, they are not going to write a check for 100 million bucks. Right. I mean, they are going to try to really give you a certain amount that to see what you do with that, to see if you can really extend it, to see it. And, and so constraints are extraordinary sources of creativity and it yes that's to answer your question yeah that's all in my book and how to use them too 
All right. Well, that I, I appreciate that answer. I, I appreciate you diving into it. And I can't wait to read about it. The name of the book is one more time, Maria. Tell these people what the name of the book is. How Creativity Rules the World. And it's How everywhere. How Creativity Rules the World. And it's everywhere I interrupted everywhere. you. Everywhere. No, it's, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, okay. everywhere where people buy books. There you go. All right. So do you get, I can't imagine that you are, but how do you feel about people who read books on their phones? I actually do read on my phones too. Do you? I okay. do. Yes. And and the reason why is because I, well, I used to travel a lot before this pandemic and I wanted to have the books with me and I wanted to have a reference library. So the, there are two problems with, and, and again, I'm not opposed to one way or the other, but I think that the problem of reading books on a screen is that you don't absorb as much information because in between the blue light and the emissions of light that come from the screens and you don't engage also the tactile experience of having to hold something in your hands. There is something that's left on the table on my desk right here. There's something about like having that paper there that I I love. You were talking about parameters a little bit ago and focus. So at the beginning of this conversation, I wanted to ask you about it. We're running, out of time now, so we're going to have That's to have you back at some, uh, uh, again. So we'll we'll touch on this maybe next time. But the thought process of uh, of discipline equals freedom is a constant of some of our previous episodes. Like Dave Burke, he works with an organization called the Echelon Front. He was a he was a pilot who was you know fighting a, a war in Iraq, and he was with Navy SEALs on the ground communicating with pilots above. And those those folks they talk about how discipline equals freedom, and 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 the, somebody who you know, views discipline as an authoritarian top down mandate to, to do something, uh, have maybe the, the wrong perception. And I love how you've prefaced, you know, your explanation of things about what you say about how it's not necessarily the, the intuition that's wrong. It's your perception of that intuition. I think that, that leads people incorrectly. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I love the way you said that. So, uh, all right, so <laughs> just real quick, let's, let's wrap with this. So people can find your book anywhere books are sold. And then how could people get in touch with you? What's the best way for people to, let's just say, you know, they have an aspiring young artist who's, you know, drawing pictures of dinosaurs and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't, I'm messing with you, but like, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Maria? If they come to my website, it's mariabrito.com. That's B-R-I-T, T as in Tom, O.com. Okay. <laughs> And that's where you find everything, a form to contact me, all the links to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and that's everything is under one umbrella there. So you can find and you can also have all the links to the retailers that carry the book. So you can find me there. I am more than happy to hear from you guys. And, and, and where can, uh, people can leave a review on those plates. That's that's essentially what you want folks to eventually end up doing. Maybe apply the principles, then also tell people, tell you how they how they liked it. Right. I think it's important. You know, this book is so actionable because at the end of each chapter, I highlight all the exercises that I consider are the most important for people to actually develop that skill right and so i made it very practical for people and authors when when you know i wrote this book for people it's not for me right i mean the point is if we have people who are out in the world creating new products new services new ways of doing things we will always have 
employment. We will always have a sound society also because we need to make sure that people are utilizing their minds in the best possible way. And that we have way too many problems to solve. If we have the, if we would have a third of Americans really kind of focus on entrepreneurial activities or solving problems instead of complaining about them, we will have a very different America. And that's the one I dream about uh, for my kids and for my grandkids. And so we all have a responsibility to leave the world better than what we found the world. And I'm not sure we're winning at that, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's the loudest smallest silent itty bitty minority that continues to minority of any population of of individuals that that are getting the attention and sometimes there's seasons to that too so there's i agree with you i i hear what you're saying i I hold out hope that for our generation we're going to continue to cultivate creativity and to empower those folks to take risk because quite frankly you know there's resources that didn't exist last year that exist now and that's how it's going to be going forward billion dollar organizations don't exist yet that will in the future because of what you're talking about. And I, I tend to agree with that. So Maria, I could sit here and talk to you for another hour. You've got things to do. I've got things to do. I appreciate that. Our audience, hopefully you got not just one thing, but if there was one thing that you did, my, my, my suggestion to you would be to take action on it. Uh, first step you need to do is subscribe to knucklehead podcast. And then actually, you know what? No first step is you need to go over and you need to go over to mariabrito.com figure out a way to get in touch with Maria. And then you also need to get her book. How Creativity Rules the World. I know it's it's a long title. Blame the publisher. How Creativity Rules the World. How Creativity Rules the World. That's what you want to go read. So Maria, I appreciate you taking some time. When you get done doing that, subscribe to Knucklehead Podcast. You got this knuckle dragger talking at you every every week. So Maria, I appreciate you taking time. Anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jam? Thank you, Stephen. All I really would like to add on is when you said the billion dollar companies or organizations that might be created, you, listener, could be one of those founders. And so never underestimate the power of your ideas and what you have inside of you. It's not a platitude. It's an action. It's an action item. It's actually a challenge. So my suggestion is go do it. If you're listening to it, take the advice. Maria, I appreciate you. Have a good rest of the day. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much.